You're listening to A New Beginning with Greg Laurie, a podcast made possible by Harvest Partners, helping people everywhere know God. Visit our website and learn more about Harvest Partners at harvest.org. Telling your story is a powerful bridge for the gospel message. And so be truthful in telling your story. Coming up today, Pastor Greg Laurie encourages us to tell people what God has done for us, but to make sure it's the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Sometimes people will say, I've given up so much to follow God. I've made such sacrifice. I, hey, you gave up hell, buddy. Don't boast about what you gave up for God. Boast of what He gave up for you. This is the day when the lost are found. This is the day for a new beginning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Again you hear all the angels are singing. This is the day, the day when life begins. And we're glad you're joining us today here on A New Beginning with Pastor Greg Laurie, featured speaker of the Harvest Crusades coming to Southern California for an exciting one-night event October 3rd. Mark your calendar and be in prayer. Today, Pastor Greg explains that our story of what Christ has done for us can show people what Christ can do for them. So today, good insight on relaying our story, our testimony, most effectively. It's part of Pastor Greg's series, Tell Someone. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever shared your faith with someone? Raise your hand. You shared your faith. Okay, good. How many of you have ever led a person to Christ? You've led them in prayer personally. Okay, good. Now, very impressive, by the way. Um, How many of you have never led someone to Christ? Don't be embarrassed. I will not mock you. I promise. It's okay. It's okay. All right, good. Hey, what's the problem, man? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I want to help you with that. Because I believe that opportunities are everywhere and we just need to kind of tune in. Kind of like on the radio. You get tuned to that frequency. You need to tune in to the frequency of the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, lift up your eyes. The fields are white to harvest. Now sometimes we'll ask someone if they want to believe in Jesus Christ and they say, no. Okay. Sometimes we ask someone that they want to believe in Jesus Christ and they say yes. And sometimes Someone who isn't a believer asks us how to come to Christ. Has that ever happened to you? Happened to me a number of years ago, interestingly, with my father. Now, I told you my mom was married and divorced seven times. I had a full-time ministry sharing the gospel with my mother's former husbands. Not kidding. I tried to reach everyone. And uh, I told you a story about one that I was able to reach uh, toward the end of his life. But... um, You know, in the midst of all these guys, my mom married and divorced, she picked one guy that I thought was fantastic. He was an attorney from New Jersey and his name was Oscar Laurie. He was different from all the other guys my mom married. My mom was sort of attracted to what you might call a bar fly. (laughs) These are the guys, you know, that hung at the bar and their shirts are unbuttoned, a few too many buttons, you know. These are the guys she was drawn to. They were drinkers, they were smokers, they were party guys, as was my mom. But somehow she finds this guy named Oscar. He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. What did my mother see in him? And uh, he was a very good man. And so we lived there in New Jersey with him. And he adopted me. And he gave me my name, of course. And he treated me as a father should treat a son. 
He gave me an allowance. I had to do chores. I have to be responsible. And I felt myself calling him dad. And though he was not my biological father, I felt and still feel he was my father. And so I loved him. And that's why it was so hard when I came out of school one autumn day in New Jersey and the black Cadillac is packed to the gills with suitcases. And I say, what's going on? She says, we're leaving New Jersey and we're going to Hawaii. Of course I was excited because at that point I'd never been to Hawaii before. And I said, where's dad? And my mom said, he's not coming. Well, I didn't see him for years. So now fast forward many years. I've become a Christian. I'm married. We have one son at this point, Christopher. And uh, I was invited to speak in New York City. So I thought, I wonder if my dad is even still alive. So because he was an attorney, I had a girl in our church that worked for the Bar Association uh, track him down. She found him immediately. He was living in a place called Red Bank in New Jersey. So I called his office. And, and I remember I haven't talked to him for years. And, and I called and I said, um, hi, is uh, Mr. Lorian? The secretary said, I'm sorry, he's out to lunch. Uh, I said, well, will you tell him I called? She said, well, what's your name? I said, Greg Laurie. She said, how do you spell your last name? <laughs> I said, the same way he does. L-A-U-R-I-E, and I'm his son, so please tell him to call me. I got a call quickly afterwards. Greg, he says, come and visit us. Come to our home for the weekend. Oh, no, I really couldn't. You know, I knew he had remarried, had a new family. I didn't want to uh, get, you know, mess things up. I, I didn't want to intrude. And he kept pressing me, come to our home. We want you to come to our home after you're done speaking. So I did my speaking engagement there in New York. We got on the train, pulled in the station. I get off and there's my dad. He, he looks just like he looked before, a little older, of course, but it was just such a great time and we reconnected. And before I knew it, I'm calling him dad again. And we went over a lot of history and what had happened to me and how he tried to get custody of me, but my mom fought him. And I'm thinking, why did my mom fight him? I mean, good night. I was effectively left to myself, but she didn't want him to have me. Well, anyway, so I sit down that night at dinner. I met his nice wife, Barbara, a nice Italian Catholic lady, an amazing cook. She whipped us up an Italian feast, fantastic. And after we're done eating, uh, Barbara says, Greg, tell me all about your faith and how you became a Christian and how you became a minister. I said, okay, Barbara. And I'm sharing my testimony, my story. And as I'm speaking, she's like responding to everything I'm saying. That's great. That's great. And on the other side of the table, there sits my father. He has his hands kind of up to his face, kind of like, like this. And I feel like I'm in a court of law and he's the judge. And I'm giving my testimony, literally, <laughs> and I feel like I'm not doing very well because he's not reacting. No visible reaction. So I thought, okay. So I shared the whole story and uh, she said, thanks for sharing that story. And I was getting ready to go to bed. My dad asked me if I would walk with him in the morning. One very important detail I left out. He had just had a heart attack about two months before, blacked out at the steering wheel of his car and ran into a pole and almost killed himself. So now he's on medication. He has to change his diet. And he has to walk every morning. So he says, will you walk with me in the morning, Greg? Yes, Dad, I will. So I get a knock on the door, you know, um, 6 o'clock in the morning, New Jersey time, 3 o'clock in the morning, California time. So I'm like, oh, so tired. Oh, so we're walking along and the brisk New Jersey air is hitting us in the face. I'm still kind of waking up. And my dad says to me, Greg, I listened very carefully to what you said last night. I said, right. And he said, I want to become a Christian right now. It's like, wake up, call, boom. I mean, oh, 
what? He says, I want to become a Christian right now. I thought he didn't understand what I was saying. It couldn't happen this quickly. So I went over it again. And he says, yes, I understand. I want to become a Christian right now, Greg. I said, well, fantastic. He says, what do I need to do? I wasn't expecting this. So I said, well, you need to pray and ask Christ to come into your life. We're in a park at this point. He drops to his knees. I'm like, oh, and so I get down to my knees. I wasn't going to kneel in the park, but since he was there, I thought I'd get down there with him. And so I lead him in this prayer and he prays it so sincerely. And after we're done praying, he says, Greg, I, I feel like Jesus just came on my life. Pray for my heart now, Greg. Pray for my heart. I believe God wants to heal me. Okay. <laughs> really? Let's pray. And I prayed for his heart. So then we're done praying. He gets him. He says, I want to go over to my doctor's office. It's right near here. And I want to tell him, I just asked Jesus in my heart and my heart's healed. Now, Dad, we don't know if your heart's healed. No, I want to talk to him. So we walk over into the doctor's office, a nice Jewish gentleman. And um, my dad walks in with me. He says, this is my son, Greg Laurie. He's a preacher from California. Already, that doesn't sound good to an East Coast person. <laughs> preacher from California. And I just accepted Jesus in my heart, Doc, and my, I believe he healed my heart. Doctor saying, now Oscar, calm down. We don't know. He ran a bunch of tests on him. Guess what? His heart was better. And God gave him 15 more years. Amazing. Now why do I tell you that story? Because you never know when it's going to happen. Sometimes you think you're making so much progress and you're ready to close the deal and they don't want to pray. And then there are times when you think you've made no progress and actually you've made more than you thought. That's why Paul says, uh, one sows, another waters. God gives the increase. We all play a role in the salvation of others. Some of us sow the seed through our godly living. Others water the seed through maybe something we said or did for a person and mentioned our faith. And others reap where others have sowed and watered. But I think there comes a moment when you gotta just grab it. Each of us who've come to the Lord has a personal story to tell, a testimony. Why is that story important? Pastor Greg will answer that question in just a moment. So many listeners have commented on the help they receive from Pastor Greg's teachings, his books, and God's Word. Hi, Pastor Greg. I want to thank you for writing about your personal loss and hope for hurting hearts. I've read your book many times in the past two years after my dear son went to heaven three days before his 25th birthday. I continually refer to your book for encouragement and hope as you know firsthand what it's like to lose your own precious son. I also appreciate your podcasts and glean wisdom from them. Please pray for me as I still cry. God bless you, your ministry, and your dear family. Thank you for being God's messenger. For information on Pastor Greg's book, Hope for Hurting Hearts, search for that title at harvest.org. And if you have some words to share of how Pastor Greg's studies in God's Word have touched your life, drop him an email at greg at harvest.org. In fact, do it today, would you? That's greg at harvest.org. Well, today, Pastor Greg is offering some practical help for our evangelism efforts in his message called, How to Lead Others to Jesus, available at harvest.org. Know this, Jesus never dealt with any two people in exactly the same way. Let me repeat that, Jesus never dealt with any two people in exactly the same way. 
There is not a one size fits all approach to evangelism. And I bring this up because some people are rather robotic in their sharing. They say the same things over and over again. And I think you need to adapt to a situation. And Jesus of course is our model in this in the story of the woman at the well that we looked at last time together. He's engaging her. He asks her for a drink of water. Initially she's sarcastic. She's flippant. Even cynical. But he's beginning to get closer now. And the woman makes this amazing statement in John 4 verse 25. She said, well I know Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when He comes He will tell us all things. Jesus says, I who speak to you am He. In other words, girl, you're talking to him right now. Because <laughs> remember, he told her, you're living with a guy right now. She didn't think anyone knew that. Jesus knew it. Says, yeah, you've had five husbands. You're shacking up with some dude, right? Okay, so I know. She's like, oh, well, we know when Messiah comes to and all things. Yeah, I'm the Messiah. And she believes it right there on the spot. John 4, 28, the woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did could this be the Christ? So this brings me to my first point. If you're taking notes, point number one, telling your story, also known as your testimony, is a powerful bridge for the gospel message. Again, telling your story, your testimony, is a powerful bridge for the gospel message. It's one of the most effective tools you have in your evangelistic toolbox. This woman only minutes old in the faith, immediately goes out and tells others. Now here's why your story is important. Because people can argue with the facts, but they can't argue with your story. See, you might say something about God and say, well, I disagree with that. And you can have a debate or however you want to approach it. But when you tell them your story of what happened to you, they can't debate you. It's what happened to you. So it's a great way to start a conversation. And listen, it's also a great way to share with someone without preaching at them. In other words, if I say, you need to accept Jesus Christ right now. You need to turn from your sin. And by the way, there's a place for that. But if I say that, a person might be put off saying, hey man, don't preach to me. So if instead I say, let me tell you my story. You know, I wasn't raised in the church. Uh, this is where I came from. This is what I used to do. And now I'm finding common ground with them. And, and then I say, but one day I went to a crusade or I went to a church service or a Christian came up to me and said this. And you know, when they said this statement, I realized I needed God. So you're telling your story, but at the same time, you're sharing the gospel with them. And this is a great way to begin. John 4, 39 says, the Samaritans of the city believed in Jesus because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. You know, the apostle Paul was a great orator, a brilliant intellect. Yet in almost every occasion when he stood before non-believers he began with his testimony. And I think one of the best ways to start your presentation of the gospel is tell what God has done for you. Here's just a few takeaway tips on sharing your story. Number one, don't glorify or exaggerate your past. Don't glorify or exaggerate your past. Accuracy is important so is truthfulness. I bring this up because I've heard people give their testimony and then maybe I don't see them for a while and I maybe hear them 10 years later and I'm thinking, wow, the testimony's a little more dramatic than it was 10 years ago. 
Now, either they went back and did a whole bunch of new stuff or they're exaggerating. And so be truthful in telling your story. And this is another thing. Don't boast about what you gave up for God. Boast of what He gave up for you. Don't boast about what you gave up for God. Boast about what He gave up for you. Let me illustrate. Sometimes people will say, you know, I was living the best life partying and women and money and drugs and so many. Then I came to Jesus. And all of a sudden you have this weird accent. Jesus. And now I carry the old rugged cross. And then you might say, I've given up so much to follow God. I've made such sacrifices. I, hey, shut up. <laughs> you want to know what you gave up? You gave up guilt. You gave up a big hole in your heart. Newsflash, you gave up hell, buddy. Hell. What did God give you? Fulfillment, purpose, the removal of guilt the absolute certainty that you will go to heaven when you die. Don't tell me what you gave up for God. Tell me what God gave up for you when he sent his son to die on the cross in your place. That's a good testimony. <laughs> you know, Paul the apostle, formerly Saul of Tarsus, actually did give up quite a bit to follow Jesus, but I love the way he phrased it when he says, you know, all the things that I thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I used to think was significant is no longer significant. It's dog dung. I've dumped it in the trash so I could embrace Christ and be embraced by Him. Love that. Hey, that stuff, that's junk. That's dog dung. It meant nothing to me. Now, Point number two. As we bring the gospel, we need to speak in a language people understand. I mentioned earlier, you can't use Christianese. People don't know what you're saying. You know, when you walk up to a person and say, hey you, heathen, uh, Philistine, come here for a second. Have you repented? Are you justified? Are you sanctified? Are you washed in the blood? And are you part of the body? You know, you might as well have just landed from another planet. They don't know what you're saying, so speak their language. Listen to this. The days of cultural Christianity are over. What do I mean by that? Well, there was a time in America, especially closer to our uh, birth, when we had a strong Judeo-Christian ethic in our culture. It was in everything that we did. But as time has passed and we've progressed, if you want to use that word, others might say regress. I would certainly choose that term. And as we've gotten away from this, we don't see cultural Christianity like we used to see it. And there was a time when you'd go up to someone and tell them about Jesus and not say, I'm already a Christian. But you know, a lot of people don't say that anymore. <laughs> cultural Christianity is over with. There's just a lot of people now that don't profess faith in Christ at all. And in a way it's good because the problem with cultural Christianity is a lot of people thought they were Christians who weren't. Now people just say, I'm not a Christian. And that's where I'm at. You know, so this is a new thing. In fact, if we were to compare our culture to another culture, I think it would be very much like the first century culture that the church was born in. In fact, when Paul spoke on Mars Hill, which was in Athens, Greece, that was the cultural and intellectual center of the world. And today, our culture is just like Mars Hill. All Mars Hill was about was, according to Acts 17, finding out about or hearing the newest thing. 
They just loved new thought, new ideas. And there were two dominant uh, philosophical ideas that were prominent in the day of Paul. There were the beliefs of Epicurus and the beliefs of the Stoics who followed Zeno. So Epicurus led the Epicureans. Zeno with the Stoics. Okay, so the Epicureans, their basic philosophy was there's no order to the universe. There's no God, no absolutes, no judgment. So you might as well just live for the moment. Have fun. They were the party animals of the first century. Then there were the Stoics. They're different. They're more disciplined. Their belief was almost similar to a Buddhist-like worldview or what we might call New Age mysticism. They thought God was in all things. God was in nature. God was in the earth. Okay, does that sound familiar to the culture we're facing today? You know, some people say, hey, God's in you and God's in me and all beliefs are right in their own way. Or another person to say, hey man, just eat, drink, and be merry. Let's just have fun and forget about it. And I read an interesting article in USA Today that talked about the fastest growing religious group in America. You want to know who they are? They're called the nuns. Not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. According to this article, this religious group doesn't have any faith affiliation, uh, but they're the nation's second largest category, second only to Catholics. They outnumber the top Protestant denomination, the Southern Baptists. What do the nuns believe? This article says nothing in particular. They're just open to spirituality. You ever engage a person about Jesus and they'll say, well, I'm into spirituality. That's who the nuns are. One person said, who identifies with them, they just let go of their belief. There's not much I can prove. So instead of saying I believe, I say, well, maybe or who knows. They believe in reincarnation and astrology. And 58% of them feel a deep connection with nature and the earth. Guess what? There's nothing new under the sun. And this goes back thousands of years. So how do you reach a culture like this? The same way the first century church reached them. Nothing's changed. The culture hasn't really changed and the answer hasn't really changed. The answer is simply this, with a powerful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what our culture needs to hear. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and our salvation to everyone who believes. Listen, the gospel is filled with power. I don't need to edit it. I don't need to add to it. I don't need to subtract from it. I don't need to apologize for it. I need to just proclaim it and stand back and watch God work. That's true. Our job is to let the lion out of the cage. Pastor Greg Laurie with great insight today and all this week on A New Beginning in a series called Tell Someone You Can Bring Others to Jesus. And because of the importance of this information, Pastor Greg has developed a helpful online training course that corresponds with this series. It's also called Tell Someone. It's a six-week course that comes to you a lesson per week via email, and it's absolutely free. At the end of six weeks, you can be fully equipped and ready to share your faith, just as Jesus has commanded us all to do. Learn more about the engaging free Tell Someone training course at harvest.org. 
Well, it's a real treat to have J. Warner Wallace with us today. He's a former atheist and a retired cold case detective. And he's just released a brand new book called Person of Interest. He puts his investigative skills to work examining the deity and uniqueness of Christ without depending on the New Testament as our proof. He points out there are other ways to make a compelling case beyond a shadow of a doubt, witnesses from that time, the historical record, and so on. And Pastor Greg is speaking with Jim Wallace. Are there telltale signs when someone is not telling the truth? Oh, yeah. So so what we do a lot of times when we're looking at, and this is how I first investigated yeah. Scripture. Uh, I was somebody who was a, the interviewer on our team. I was working on an investigative team. I was working undercover. I had super long hair. I had mm. this longer goatee than I'm wearing today. Mm. And um, so I thought, well, you know, I, 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 was, I love doing interviews. Mm-hmm. And I loved looking for deception indicators mm. when, when people will say things. And there's a process called forensic statement analysis. Mm. What you're doing is you would have somebody, let's say that crime occurred yesterday, mm-hmm murder. You would say, okay, you know what? I want you to do me a favor. On this piece of paper, which happens to have 24 lines, I just want you to write down everything you did yesterday from the day you got, the moment you got up to the moment you went to bed. Mm. And I give them a pen. So any changes they make, they have to cross out. And then I've got, you can't use the back side. You can only use the front side. Mm. So what that allows me to do is to see what their pace is. Right? How many lines do they use to describe each hour? Because mm. people will compress time or expand time, and they're either trying to hide something or wow. minimize something, or maybe they're just impressed by what happened in that moment, but it'll tell me something about that day in terms of how they expand and compress. I'm looking for things like pronoun use. Uh, this is my good friend, Greg. I used a first name. This is my good friend, the pastor. Now I'm calling him the pastor. Yeah. So I'm looking for the context of how the pronouns change over mm. the course of the description, right? I love my, my wife Susie and I. We went on a vacation. It was beautiful. I, my lovely wife Susie. Well, that's, that's one way to describe her. Oh, I took uh, Susie on a vacation. Well, I didn't even describe her as my wife. <laughs> I took the wife on a vacation. Now it's wow. not even a possessive pronoun. Now it's like the wife. Okay, what's going on with that? Now it may be that's what you do all the time. Or it might be that you've changed here because at that point in the day, you were upset about something. So I'm looking at all those deception indicators. And when I read through the Gospel of Mark for the first time, I didn't think much of it. But then someone told me that an early bishop in the church named Papias Mm -hmm. said that Mark's Gospel was written at the feet of Peter. And I thought, hmm, can I test that? Because you know, who's Mark? Mark's not. We don't know if Mark was in the at the at the scene. We all, mm-hmm. but Peter was. Is there any evidence in Mark's mm-hmm. gospel that points to Peter specifically? Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at deception indicators, places where you know mm-hmm. how that the story is different, comparing the other gospels. I think there's actually a lot of forensic evidence in Mark that demonstrates that Peter is his source. Well, that's interesting. And so this is how I approached it, right? Because yeah. this is the discipline I I had in my pocket. This I just I knew there were a certain number of skills that if you let's put it this way. If there's a murder from 20 years ago, mm-hmm. the witnesses sometimes are dead by the time I get to the case. Yeah. Um, and not only that, the guys who did the interviews or the, the gals, the detectives who wrote the, inter- the supplemental reports, sometimes they're dead too. Mm-hmm. So now I've got an account, a supplemental report. I've got no access to the witness and I've got no access to the report writer. Mm-hmm. That's the Gospels. <laughs> I got no access to the witness, True. no access to the report writers. Yeah. How do I determine – what happened 30 years ago, I used the same process to determine what happened. It doesn't make any difference how long that, that, that yeah. time has gone by. In the end, there are linguistic – there are little things that people say or don't say that tell you a lot about what – you know. And this is why my daughters would hate it growing up with me because I would, they would – one would come in and I would say, hey, before yeah. you say anything, <laughs> just know that every word that comes out of your mouth, I'm going to analyze. I'm going to test. Wow. And then she would go, oh, my gosh. I said, oh, and before you say anything – 
also know that everything you could have said but chose not to say, I'm also going to hold against you. <laughs> wow. Well, then she's like, well, what's the point? She just confessed to it. So that made it easier, right, for me. <laughs> but, but the point is that process you could actually apply to the gospel. Wow. All this explosive information is contained in this book that we are offering to you. It's called Person of Interest by J. Warner Wallace, Why Jesus Still Matters in a World that Rejects the Bible. And we'll send you this book for your gift of any size because we want to put quality resources into your hands. And we also want to give you an opportunity to support us as we teach the Word of God and proclaim the gospel all around this planet. So if you'd like your own copy, Dave's going to give you the contact information and we'll send you person of interest. Yeah, that's right. It's brand new. And we so much appreciate your investment so this daily study can continue. And when you send a donation today, let us thank you with a copy of Person of Interest. You can write A New Beginning, Box 4000, Riverside, California, 92514. Or call us at 1-800-821-3300. We can take your call anytime, 24-7. Again, dial 1-800-821-3300. We know the importance of sharing the gospel, but what is the gospel, and how do we make sure we're presenting it properly? Pastor Greg has important insights on that next time as his Tell Someone series continues here on A New Beginning. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to A New Beginning. This is a podcast made possible by Harvest Partners. So for more content that can help you know God and equip you to make Him known to others or to learn more about how you can become a Harvest Partner, just go to harvest.org.